Welcome to Talks at GS, where leading thinkers share insights and ideas shaping the world. This session of Talks at GS was recorded before a live audience. Gwyneth. Yes, Dan. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Academy Award winner, Golden Globe winner, Emmy winner, Grammy nominee, which I didn't know about you until I read Wikipedia this morning. Didn't know that one. New York Times bestselling author, and on and on. The accolades go on and on. And yet, with all that activity and with all that success and with all that accomplishment, you made the choice to jump to the business side. What was it about business? What was it about this entrepreneurial path that was attractive to you, and why did you make that jump? You know, it took me a while to unpack that answer, I think, over many years. I think a lot of factors led to that pivot, they like to call it. Um, I think fundamentally, you know, when you're an actor, you have to be very entrepreneurial. You have to have, like, ridiculous amounts of self-belief. Um, you have to persevere through countless no's and... Um, and I really liked that part of acting, but I, at a certain point I was like, I don't know if I really like this. Like, I didn't know if it felt like necessarily my calling. And of course I had incredible trepidation about leaving this great career or doing it a lot less and trying something else. And, um, you know, when I sent my first newsletter from my kitchen in London in 2008, I had, I definitely harbored a very secret desire to want to create a business, but I was like, I have, I, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Like, I, I, I don't know how I'll get there. I don't know what it will be. I don't know what it'll look like. I won't know. I don't know how I'll ever monetize it. Um, and I was lucky in that I got to have, I got to take a long time to do those things and kind of let them emerge intuitively and organically. Um, and the business model sort of unfolded and, and, uh, and I'm, it's really, really hard, but I'm having a good time. I like it. I believe you. So, so let's talk about where the business is now. So Goop, let's start with the brand. What, what do you want the brand to stand for? What is it? Um, you know, I think internally, I think what we, what we want to do is, um, you know, we, I think we're still working on our sort of like consumer-facing slogan. Um, but I think you know, what motivates us and what we're there to do every day is really connect people to good things and um, to help them make choices that will impact their lives meaningfully. And that could be you know, telling you where the best taco stand is in Santa Barbara. It's La Superica. <laughs> or um, you know, it could be unlocking something around adrenal fatigue or you know, something in the wellness, um, and the wellness vertical. Um, and, um, you know, I think also creating really high-quality, efficacious product that works um, and that's clean and, you know, that's going to be sustain as sustainable as possible. Got it. So, so you mentioned wellness. That wellness ethos kind of pervades a lot of what you do yeah. at, at Goop. And it's a place where it's felt like you're early mm -hmm. to a lot of things, a lot of trends. You see a lot of trends and you, you help catalyze a lot of trends before they happen. Um, and you take a lot of risk and you push the limits and you get a lot of criticism from time to time. So how do you think about on the wellness side, what is the inspiration for what you identify that's gonna come next and how do you think about how much you wanna push limits and take risk in that space? Yeah, um, again, it's sort of been evolving. You know, I think that um, 
my innate curiosity in the wellness space started a long time ago. You know, I was very early in yoga and acupuncture, and people have been calling me batshit crazy for a really long time. <laughs> um, and so I think, you know, it's a couple of things. I think we, myself, my women friends, my working mother friends, um, I think we're all kind of feeling collectively like uh, they weren't feeling very well, and they weren't getting a lot of answers from their MDs. And I think it reached a sort of critical mass where m people, and mostly women, were saying, we don't feel heard, and we would like some agency over our lives and the way we feel. And maybe they're, instead of being prescribed an antidepressant, which is surprisingly common when someone goes in and tells their doctor, I'm just not feeling well, I'm not myself, um, people wanted to explore alternatives. and. You know, the, the truth is that everybody can design their own wellness protocol by asking questions and trying things anecdotally. And sometimes there are not double-blind studies behind, you know, the benefits of acupuncture or whatever. But, you know, ultimately, if people are feeling better because they're trying these things and doing these things, I think it's very worthwhile. And it's now you see in the culture. I mean, I remember I wrote one of my cookbooks was um, a gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free book. I don't know. It came out maybe eight years ago or something like that. And um, when it came out, the vitriol that I received for writing a gluten-free book, was, it was incredible. I was like, wow, this is, a, like, why is this so charged for people? Uh, and I was hurt. You know, people were saying, oh, she is torturing her children, and we should call <laughs> child services on her. Um, and then I watched the gluten-free market become, like, a trillion-dollar market or in the high billions. I mean, yeah. now you go to Italy, and there's gluten-free pasta in the, right. you know... Um, so I think by pattern recognition, I've seen, like, I, if I follow my instinct, even if it's potentially incendiary or if somebody's never heard of it, um, people, it, you know, people tend to follow along. Um, and so I think it's really, for me, just about maintaining uh, the connection between my instinct and, you know, and executing on it in a smart way, obviously. And obviously, you know, along the way, We've made mistakes, we've put product on the site and restated claims from a third party brand that hadn't been vetted and like obviously we're a lot more grown up now and so we avoid those kind of stupid early company mistakes. Right. But I like being brave and I like getting in trouble. Um, <laughs> I mean it's, I think it's, I think it's important. I think somebody has to do it and I think, you know, at Goop we really, we really believe in trying to move the needle and um, trying to push culture forward as it pertains to, you know, people having autonomy over the way they feel. How do you, and uh, you know, for all the entrepreneurs here, everybody, yeah. mm -hmm. if they are taking a risk and trying to build something, they've all been told at some point, I suspect, it won't work, it's not smart, it's not, you know, whatever, and mm -hmm. so you get criticism. And somehow you have to keep your confidence and keep your, your view on the vision and executing the vision despite that criticism. And you, you know, you've taken it, you take a lot of heat. How do you keep that confidence and conviction and just keep going despite that? Um, I mean, I think it's, it's something that we, it's definitely something that all entrepreneurs deal with. I think, you know, essentially it's really the hero's journey, right? Like how much can you hold your values true to your heart and persevere no matter what happens, no matter what obstacle, no matter, you know, how you're humiliated or no matter what happens, um, how can every, friction point bring you closer to yourself. Um, and 
you know, I think I get a disproportionate amount because I think culture really likes to see people that they know who are famous stay in their box. And I think, you know, we have, a, we have trouble anyway in terms of, um, I think we're just kind of getting to the point in time now where women are finally saying like, hey, we don't want to be institutionalized as one archetype. Like we, we want to have jobs, we want to be intelligent, we want to be sexual, we want to be maternal, we want to be all those things. And I think when you break those walls down, definitely people have a reaction to it culturally. Um, but I've learned something really, really important about criticism, which is that it only ever hurts my feelings if it's a judgment that I'm already holding against myself. So if I hear something and it hurts my feelings, I'm like, I have to work on that. Right. They're right. That's true. And a lot of it doesn't mean anything to me. You know, a lot of it is projection. A lot of it is, you know, people are in a lot of pain and haven't processed their And so it's much easier to write something nasty and get that momentary relief um, than to be like, wow, I need to take responsibility for who I am in, in time and space. One of the many things mm -hmm. that impresses me about you is you have the humility to know what you don't know and to go out and seek. You're curious and you, you, you nurture a network of mentors, people you can look to, high profile people because of your access, but low profile, you know, all across the board. And you ask a lot of questions, you listen and you learn. Uh, who are the best mentors? Like, who are one or two great mentors to you, whether it's in business, acting, life, and why? Somebody that's been, I would say if I have to, Somebody that's helped me the most in terms of giving me executable tidbits that are real, feel really expansive and daring and great is Brian Chesky from Airbnb. Hmm. Um, he has a great brain and he's really brilliant about growth and um, you know about creating models and he's been very helpful. So if I've, I have a, he's the person that I'll text the most if I have like an actual. It's a good one. How's your leadership style evolved? You've been at this 10 years? 10 years. 11, yeah. 11. Um, well, when, it, when I was just by myself, you know, there wasn't a Not lot, a lot to, to lead. lead. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. I, um, I don't know if any of you have read Reid Hoffman's book, Blitzscaling, but it's a, it's a really good book. And um, he, he talks about kind of the cultural, the impact of cultural shifts when you go from being little to medium to big. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I think it's something that evolves all the time. Like the business is so different with eight girls in a barn than 250 people um, and with an office in LA and a smaller one in New York. And, and how do you disseminate that feeling of um, being united and working towards the same thing? And, you know, I've sort of realized recently, I think that I thought, oh, you know, you have to model culture from the top down, and, and these are the tents of how we do it, and these are the values. But you know, recently, since I can't interact with everybody every day anymore, um, I think it's so important for an organization to understand that they are responsible for the culture. And like, mm -hmm. what are you saying? What are you not saying? What is your body language? Like, are you back channeling? Are you brave enough to speak straight to somebody and have that conversation and take care of it there? And I think it's super important that 
you know, everybody who's coming in to the company understands that they are, here's, here's what we're aspiring to and you are responsible, as responsible for it as, as I am. Right, yeah. What's your favorite part of being an entrepreneur <laughs> and what's the most excruciating part of being an entrepreneur? And how do those highs and lows compare to your old life? Well, you know, when, you know, when you are an actor on a film set, you are a, a cog. Um, and it's, it can be fantastic, but you know, to be an entrepreneur and have um, control over your own destiny is obviously a great thing. But for me, what I love most about it is um, I love working with amazing, brilliant, mostly women. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I love innovating. I love pushing boundaries and um, trying to, to do something new. It's very exhilarating. Um, I think what's excruciating about it is it's just really hard. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think too, trying to balance growth with um, building a company that, you know, you can really, that's sustainable. And, you know, there's, when you take VC money, as we know, you know, there's, they, they want to see this really accelerated growth rate. And, you know, I, when you look back and think of, you know, there's so many companies that kind of are in our wake that have kind of gone down the drain of the LTV to CAC, like buying bad customers. And, you know, I really want to, what I'm trying to figure out now is like, you know, we've had mostly organic growth. We're, you know, we have, we do some performance marketing, but I think you know, how do you continue to create an incredibly meaningful relationship with your customer that's additive to their life and create a customer through that as opposed to through the more kind of standard channels? And maybe that means you grow, you know, 33% instead of 40%, but, you know, and then you have to manage expectations yeah. over here. But, you know, to me, it's so important. It's so important that, you know, you're not making mistakes because you're being pushed to hit some kind of arbitrary metric that they've assigned. And, um, and that's, you know, that's hard, but it's also, I think it's a, it's a fantastic challenge, you know, to every single day to think about like, how am I creating a relationship that's meaningful? What am I not doing? You know, how can I double down on this connection that I've made with this customer and, you know, understand what she's gonna want and, continue to surprise her and um, and that's also where I think like technology is going to be super super important for right. e-commerce in the future and contextual commerce it's like we have to be a lot smarter and more specific around what we're sending to individual people we have so much data and so it's really kind of building the bridge between oh this person doesn't open the email until you know Sunday so why am I sending it to her on Thursday morning right. etc so and segmenting also because we're a lifestyle brand and we're in a lot of verticals like what does she want to see um, but without only sending her not relying too much on data so you're only sending her you know you got to keep mm -hmm. surprising people as well right right on the diversity topic your contributions to advancing the cause of diversity in the workplace or and in, in, in society are are heroic, and we could we could talk about it for a lot in your contribution to the Me Too movement and everything else. And now you're building a company, as you said, it's not exclusively women, but mostly women. Um, what are your observations, again, 11 years in, on the challenges for women in building a business and any advantages for women in building? Yeah, a business? I mean, I think you know, sort of like 
kind of well-worn territory, but it's, you know, we don't get allocated the kind of capital that men entrepreneurs get. I think, you know, there, there aren't a lot of women, there aren't a ton of women who are in control of, you know, it's, it's usually me in a room of men trying to explain, you know, why female sexuality is an important thing. <laughs> and, um, you know, dynamic. I can just hear their inner dialogue, like, oh, I got this. Like, I, I know. <laughs> I'm cool. Like, I don't. Um, and so I think, you know, for women entrepreneurs who are creating businesses um, largely skewed towards women, I think that's intrinsically difficult. I think a lot of men don't get it. You know, you hear, like, even the founders of Rent the Runway, like Jennifer saying, oh, I was trying to explain to men why women would want to rent a dress, and they were like, you're out of your mind, right. you know? Um, right. So I, I do think that they're just there's sort of bias around how men see things and how women see things. Um, luckily, you know, we got to a point where, you know, I think when your business is thriving and your unit economics are good, like raising capital becomes easier. But I think it's it's difficult to get in the door, and I think it wasn't difficult for me to get into the door because um, a lot of times, like people just want to take a selfie with me for their <laughs> wife or whatever. That works. Uh, but it, it was hard to raise capital, you know, in the, especially in the beginning. Um, and I think it's it's something that I hear a lot from the women entrepreneurs that I talk to and 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 work work with and. Um, there's a group of women that I'm always on the other end of the phone for because I don't want them to make the same mistakes that I made. And I made so many mistakes, you know, like really critical mistakes that cost us a lot of money along the way. Um, so, you know, I think, I think we, but I do think it's heartening that we're, we are living in a time where there are, there are more female entrepreneurs and I think female entrepreneurs feel really empowered to, to do what they're doing. And, um, I think we just need more. You know, we need to we need to hire great women, and um, and we need to you know let them go off into the world and start their own companies, and we need to give them capital and believe in them and be on the other end of the phone for them. Well, Gwyneth, you're spectacular. I love watching you on this entrepreneurial journey. Thanks, thank Danny. Thank you for sharing your insights with us. Thanks. This podcast was recorded on October 17th, 2019. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part or disclosed by any recipient to any other person. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the recipient. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty, express or implied, as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any recipient is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that recipient, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.